0: Oh, <sniffs> well. Welcome, BA family, to the first episode of Breathing Air. I'm so pumped. Today we have a great guest. He goes by the name of Jason King. He's an ex-New England Patriot. In today's episode, we go in-depth into some of his stories about his time in the league, what it takes to be great, goal-setting, finances, investing. We cover a wide variety of topics I'm super excited for y'all to hear and excited to hear your feedback. So without further ado, I hope y'all enjoy, subscribe, and here we go. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Breathing Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. Today, I have a Purdue alum. Undrafted free agent to the Patriots, where he got mm-hmm. to play alongside greats like Brady and Gronk. Spent a little time with the Ravens. He is now currently a medical sales rep alongside me. He is a landowner and recently a new BMW owner. Box. So what's up? Box. You got rid of you got rid of the uh, the old Handy.
1: Yeah, I got rid of the big truck, my uh, 2010 Toyota Tundra. Yeah, I got that in high school. Uh, quick quick story on the Tundra. The, uh, my my dad actually got me that truck. My dad actually got me that truck my sophomore year of high school, and it was the money that came from my college fund. So once they realized that I wasn't going to pay for college through, uh, and I was going to go play some ball, on scholarship. I kind of got to splurge a little and buy that new Tundra. So
0: yeah. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it's a definitely a good truck and those things run for yeah. 300, 400,000 miles. So right. you got, I'm sure you got some good, good sell back on that. So we'll just jump, jump right into it, man. Um, I'm super excited to do this with you. And this is the first episode of Breathing Air for everyone that's listening and super excited to jump on this journey with y'all. So tell me a little bit about your time and your journey from just growing up playing sports and then that evolving into eventually you getting into the NFL. Yeah,
1: I'd say it all started, you know, with Little League football. I was playing on this team. I think it was the Cowboys or something was the first team that I played for. But it was, out, it was in Little Rock, Arkansas, out by Highway 10, if anybody knows where that is. And um, for the first few years, I was so much bigger than everyone that I was playing with. You know, they kind of slapped this big-ass orange dot on your helmet and it means, Hey, this kid can't touch the ball. So I always hated that. I mean, I hated that forever, but, um, I think the last thing I remember about that is I got kicked out of our quote unquote super bowl. And I I guess, you know, just, it kind of turns into the amount of personal fouls and flags that I had in college. I'm just a passionate guy. It happens. But (laughs) so that's my first football memory. Um, you know, my sophomore year of high school, I think I decided, hey, this is something that I want to take serious. I decided, you know, I think I can be good enough where I can play college football. And I look at like eighth grade when my the high school coach, Coach Kevin Kelly, uh, over at Pulaski Academy, he said, hey, I need you to move up and play for the high school team in the playoffs. And I was like, nah. I'm not with that. Like, I'm, I'm literally terrified. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be good enough to play high school football. So, next thing I know, you know, it's my sophomore year, and that was my first accolade was the Arkansas Super Sophomore Team. Um, by my senior year, I got in some smaller schools, uh, and then I started after the season to get, you know, the your mid-major colleges. I had things like Kansas, Colorado, Arkansas State. Uh, Purdue came through. And I was pumped. I took all my visits. I uh, decided on Purdue at really the first visit that I ever took there. I remember it was it was homecoming. I guess that would be maybe 2011. And they beat Illinois, who at the time was like a top 15 team. And, you know, we partied and stuff. And I went out with the guys afterwards. And I really just loved it. I loved everything about Purdue. I still do. I bleed black and gold. Go Boilers. But we sucked. <laughs> <laughs> we... We sucked. We were really bad for a long time. And, you know, we won, I guess my first year we went bowling. We won quite a few the first year, I think six or seven, whatever. And then leading into the second year, I think we won one game. I think we went one and 11. I think our only win was actually against Indiana State, who – They ended up only winning one game in a lower division. So, I mean, we were bad. Um, My first start ever was against Ohio State that year. And I was a redshirt freshman. And night before we play Ohio State, which would have been a freshman, Joey Bosa, right in front of me, night before the, the senior guard walked up and he said, Hey, good luck tomorrow. And I was like, No, good luck to you. Like, you're the one playing the game. He was like, oh, they didn't tell you I have mono. So I went out, and I played the game, and I believe it was halftime, and we were losing 50-0, to zero, I think. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> bro, 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 I still had the biggest smile on my face. And I'm a competitor through and through, but that was such a big moment in my life and career. Um, my first start being out there realizing that, like, I can play with anybody. Like, I can play with the big boys, Whatever it just did a lot for me. So from then on out, I started every game for the rest of my career, which I think ended up being, I think I played in 50s, started, um, you know, 40, 45 or whatever it was like that. But yeah, it was, it was incredible. But I, again, you know, it goes back to the same way I felt coming out of high school You know, I didn't get a scholarship offer from Arkansas, which I grew up a Razorback fan. Mm-hmm. So, that would, that would have been Coach Bobby Petrino my senior year, so we all know how that worked
0: out Yeah, it, didn't, yeah, it didn't end very well. Yeah,
1: you know, a little bit of karma. <laughs> uh, he,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, he got a motorcycle wreck, quote unquote.
1: Yeah, you know, just something like that. But um, I kind of carried that chip on my shoulder throughout college, and it kind of came back once I was getting ready for draft day. And I went and did my training, my pre-draft training in, um, Dallas down at Michael Johnson performance, great experience. And then, um, I waited for the draft to come around and I had my pro day and a lot of teams really came out and a ton of teams talked to me and interviewed me, but, you know, I didn't get a combine invite. Uh, I didn't get to take, oh, I can't even remember 30 visits. I think, um, they do a thing called 30 visits where they, they're allowed to bring 30 prospects to the facility mm-hmm. before the draft. So I got none of those called calls, and um, it was draft day. And I knew, like, hey, what, whatever's going to happen happens. I was expecting. The first day, I didn't really pay attention to it. Second day, I you know, you get your hopes up a little bit. Third, third day, I guess, rounds, you know, five and six are going on. I don't hear my name, so I'm just like, you know what, I'm gonna go get a pump in. Like I'm just fuck it. I'm (laughs) too much energy. Yeah. Yeah. So I go to the gym and uh, again I'm just out there working out, just doing what I do. And I head back home and it's the end of the seventh round, and my phone rings and it's Bill Belichick, which actually looking back on it now is Nick Casario who called, but he calls and he's like, "Hey, coach, wants to talk to you." I'm like. (laughs) kind of looking back at my family and my best friends in the house with me. I'm like, well, I don't know who coach is, but okay. And then coach Belichick gets on the phone and I recognize his voice immediately. Right. And first thing he says, like, cause my heart starts racing and I'm <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, is this really about to happen? Cause I see they got like two picks coming up at the end of the draft. And then first thing he says is don't get excited. I'm not drafting you. So I'm like, what did you just call my phone for? <laughs> right. And uh, uh, kind of I hear him out and we talk for a little bit. And, you know, after the draft, uh, I decided to go ahead and sign um, with the Pats. And to this point, that was probably one of you know my best decisions that I made because I took a little less money in uh, a signing bonus to go there. And I kind of argued with my agent about it. But afterwards, you know, I didn't care about the at that point. You know, somebody giving me 20,000 bucks to, you know, sign with them just to get cut in camp. Or I took less and I, I go to New England and, you know, I made some of my best friends there. I had some of the times of my life and, you know, I took my family to a Super Bowl. Uh, it was just, it was incredible. So all those things from childhood football, that orange dot, they kind of led to that big moment. Um, in 2017 at the Super Bowl and I kind of felt it all come full circle Um, you know it was cut short for me unfortunately in 2018 Um, you know most people don't know I played my last five years of football like in a back brace taking like prescription pills for for pain and this and that but finally just got to the point where I couldn't play any longer so I couldn't really pass a physical or anything like that and I just hung them up, and instead of sitting around and crying about it, I found what was next, and here we are, working
0: together in the Rock. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of crazy how, you know, we got put together just full, it comes full circle, because I had family here my whole life growing up, and you're obviously from here, journeyman, you know, you've been all over the place, kind of similar to me, I've traveled a lot, obviously didn't get a chance to play in the NFL, but, you know, whenever you travel a lot and see stuff like that, and then you end up back where it all started with family and friends, it's kind of... uh, It's kind of a crazy thing. You talked a little bit about how you chose the Patriots over a few other teams because um, it had to be because that was a place that you could see yourself. Kind of like when you were talking about the visits, you know, you go to one of those colleges and you just have like that gut feeling that this is the place for me. And I feel like a lot of that is culture, especially when it comes to, you know, the Pats and they obviously have a legacy and they're a dynasty in the last decade even 20 years or so so what what can you say about that that type of culture that is built there and I mean I'm sure that a lot of people who are in the business world today can agree that that culture is similar in a work work environment as well just like if you want to play for a coach you're going to want to perform for a boss so what what can you say about the culture that you got to experience there
1: So the the culture thing, I mean, that's a great point because I absolutely loved everything about it. Like the same thing you see in the media, like the reason why everybody hates it is the same reason why I loved it. Like I love structure as crazy, as wild as it sounds. Like I love to party and stuff and have my fun. But when it comes to like working, even still to this day, like I don't skip workouts. Like I eat the way I'm supposed to. Like I usually keep my place clean. I, I love, you know, some some order and they have it there. I mean, the Patriot way is a real thing, and it's like get in line or you're gone. Like, I saw him, I saw Coach Belichick trade for a third-round pick, and, like, this guy walks in, and he's a clown, and they're like, ah, let's cut our losses, and then he's gone the next day. Like, they don't care. Either you fit in or you don't. Um, So, personally, I love that. The culture was great. It's just a bunch of hard-working guys. Like, I would. I look back at, like, cars in the parking lot, and I think – Obviously we're nice cars, you know, but we're talking about things like Range Rovers or Escalades and stuff versus like you go to a you go down to the Dolphins or something and you're looking at, you know, guys driving Lambo. I mean, look, we saw guys pull up in Brinks trucks and and <laughs> race cars. Jalen Ramsey and, pulling up in the I Brinks on Like you just never see clown like a clown show like that around there. Yeah. It's all it's all work. So I appreciate that. And I saw that in a big way when I went to Baltimore, like for those few weeks before new England signed me back. And I was like, I hate this place. I don't like it at all. Like the players, you know, it's just kind of a more of like a player run operation. And uh, that just wasn't for me. Obviously I'm thankful to them for the opportunity, but I figured out like what type of system, you know, I much rather would have been in.
0: Right. And it's, it's crazy how much of a difference it is when you see it from the other end. But it's it's really amazing what that organization and it starts from the top, even with craft, and I'm sure you can attest to that, you know. It starts from the top, just like in any organization, but Kraft and Belichick and then obviously Brady as a part of the players is just able to create that culture and keep it going for so long and they don't they don't deal with any of the BS, like you said. No. Like if you have that ego and i mean you're you're dealing with guys that are millionaires professional athletes have anything that they want whatever girl they want they got the cars the clothes but then when it comes to ball in that organization they're all the same and they're all there for one purpose and i personally am a steelers fan so i hate <laughs> i hate the patriots dude they've hey, been hey, our freaking kryptonite for like that's true they've been our kryptonite forever and I can't tell you how many times I've cussed out the TV because Brady just comes back or we get a bullshit call like that one time.
1: As long as you got (laughs) that three-headed monster over there. I mean, first, shout out to Mr. Kraft. I mean, we're talking about one of the coolest guys on the planet here. We're talking about like a straight-up, like a team owner that just like is one of the boys. I'm like, you know, he's walking around with a a couple billion dollars on him. Yeah. And he just wants to kick it. The the funniest things I can remember, like he would walk in – when we were all, like, working out with the trainers and he would kind of just, like, grab one of the strength coaches that was, like, working out the team, which is obviously important, he just kind of grabbed one of them for a personal training session over on the side, and I would just be like, this guy just does whatever he wants. Like, he literally owns all of this. Oh, and yeah, it's incredible. yeah, Yeah. But, yeah, Coach Belichick, he's just – he'll be one of my favorite guys. That's my favorite coach that I ever played for, he and Coach Kelly. But, I mean, those guys – just incredible and brady i mean we all know what tb12 is capable of and what he's done i mean just three like hard working really cool and like fun interesting brilliant guys to be around
0: yeah and i feel like a lot of people don't realize what goes on behind the scenes but i mean i'm sure you can shed light on the fact that those dudes are just grinding 24 7 that i mean brady's a machine you don't really see anything like as far as longevity goes and continued success in any industry, like entertainment industry, whatever you want to call it, like yeah. him and LeBron are two guys that are just, I mean, they're beating, literally yeah. beating time.
1: Oh yeah. It's incredible. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's incredible. And it's because Brady, I mean, this guy's what is 43. I think I was there to celebrate his 40th birthday or something. I guess he's yeah. 42 or three now. And I mean, he just still works. Like he's a rookie. I'm like, he's got everything in the world. He, if he quits today, he's pr- probably the goat, greatest of all time. No contest, if you ask me, but he's still, like, you know, if he throws a pick in practice or something, like, he's screaming fuck and trying to, you know, like, what's going on? Like, he's mad at himself. And he'll sit in there all day long and sit there and work and work and work and watch the tape. Like, it's incredible to see. I mean, those guys, they just – I mean, Coach Belichick, just every morning you walk into practice you could tell, like, this dude just fell asleep at his desk, like, watching, cutting up tape. <laughs> and loves it. Just yeah, and just, that's up. literally all he wants to do. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like, that's why I appreciate guys like that so much.
0: Right, and I'm going to draw this back to kind of success because we're talking about this organization, these individuals that make up this organization, and just even not even in football, in life, as far as success goes, you know, like you said, Brady and those guys, they have everything that they want in the palm of their hand but they're still getting up and grinding every single day because they're doing something that they're passionate about. So they're not just doing it for money or for the wins or whatever they're doing it because they're super passionate about it. So what in your mind is the definition of like success to you? Because I feel like there's a broad spectrum of look at all these like super rich people and wealthy people who are, you know, depressed or suicidal or, you know, overdose on drugs or whatever. And then you have people who, you know, have nothing who are just full of life. So there's like that, you know, there's that middle ground. So what is success to you? I think it changes
1: in different phases of your life. But like in my head, it's pretty much something that's like unattainable. Um, and that's like what keeps me going, really, because at what point do you do you set a number or something and say, OK, I've reached success? And then you stop like the the people who are that I look at and think they're so successful, like, they're still getting after it. The people that we've talked about, like, they're still going, and they're obviously successful in our eyes. But, I mean, for me, I, I try to – I'm a big goal setter. So, like, even I'll start my day and plan out, like, okay, how do I need to, like, hit, have a successful day? And I'll think about even, okay, I want to eat this, this, this. I want to go to work and sell this, this, this. And then I want to go to the gym – and hit this, 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 and get this many hours of sleep. And, right. And, like, figure out how to talk to my mom or something <laughs> yeah. in the middle of all of it, you know? So, right. like, that's my, my success. I try to keep it really small, attainable goals that I can set for myself, like, you know, throughout things as small as days. But then, you know, long-term goals, too. Right. Like, you know, I just had a one-year meeting with my company that I'm working for now that we work for. And, you know, I kind of had to walk in and say, okay, I feel like I've done everything that's been asked of me plus more over the last year. Like, where do we go from here? Like I need, I need new goals. Like I, I'm not okay with just sitting in one spot and not getting better, not getting worse, just cruising through life. Like that'll never be cool with me.
0: Right. And there's a, that just reminded me of be on one side of the fence or be on the other side of the fence. There's like a verse that just came to my mind. It's like, be hot or cold. Like if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Like, I don't want like be one side or the other. So I, I agree with what you said. We can branch off that in so many ways. But you talked a little bit about kind of like your mornings and starting your mornings with goals and like things that you want to accomplish throughout the day. So what is a normal morning look like for you when you wake up? Like, are you setting your mind to a certain way? Because I know it's so easy to just hear that alarm going and be like, oh, no, <laughs> like yeah. snooze, snooze the uh, nope, nope, you know, and then just kind of drag yourself out. I know for me personally, I've been trying to, like, pop out. As soon as I hear it, as hard as it is, just get up and start the morning with some action and some, like, gratitude. Like, what, what's your normal morning look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, snooze button is the devil. <laughs> like, the snooze button just – just don't do it. Just pretend like it's not an option, you know. For, as soon as you hear it, before you can even think about how bad your life sucks at that moment, <laughs> just slap the light on real quick or hit that lamp next to your bed and just try your best to, like, roll out because the snooze button, I mean, literally, you can read up on it. It it only makes your day worse. Like, as many times you hit you're not going back into a deep sleep anyway. So that's that shit's dead. I mean, just don't hit the snooze button we had to learn all about stuff like that, like in the NFL, like sleep sleep specialists and s- snooze buttons just bad overall. But my mornings, I tell everybody, like, you really have to make sure to eat breakfast. Like, it is, it, it's, you start to, I don't know about the intermittent fasting that people do and stuff. Yep. Like, I understand that's a thing. But for me, I wake up. I make breakfast depending on the first thing that I have to do, and I would like to get back to where I work out before work, kind of like you do. But for me, it's waking up, giving myself really ample time to make sure that you can make breakfast and get that cup of coffee and not be in a rush. Like kind of let your brain get going. And usually, I'm ended up driving, you know, thirty minutes to forty five minutes for work in the morning which I love because I have a chance to like, listen to some music, get a podcast in, uh, something like that, so I can get my brain started for the day. But I'll also kind of, like I said earlier, set those goals for myself and kind of plan out my day and don't leave myself any wiggle room to back out of something just because I might be tired later. So like, if I set a gym time or something like, I'm going to be at the gym right after work to do this, I'm not going to like stray from that no matter what comes up. you
0: know? Right. Yeah. I've been trying to kind of start the morning intentionally with like gratitude. Yeah, And cause I'm, I feel like you can easily get caught in a cycle where you're waking up and you're going through this day to day routine, whether, I mean, it's good habits or bad habits. You can get stuck in kind of like this hamster wheel where you're like, you're subconsciously just going through the motions and you're not like living kind of outside of yourself and realizing that, Hey, this is a day. That's a blessing. Like, I may like die in traffic or yeah. get the coronavirus. <laughs> like, that's true. like seriously, who knows what could happen. Who knows, uh, you know, if you may lose a friend or a family yeah. member. Like you don't know what's gonna happen. So that's a reality. It's not just something to motivate you, but it should motivate you. And I feel like it's easy to get caught in that circle where you're not thinking outside of yourself. Yeah. You can just get so caught up in like, woe is me, like blah 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 this didn't go well today or this didn't go well today but you gotta like live intentionally that's 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 been my thing lately is like living intentionally having goals like you said writing them down and then like doing it every single day to like reach those goals and that keeps you motivated you know right that gives you like life to wake up in the morning that helps you roll out of bed way easier than if you're just like Oh, I'm gonna do this today, and then I can't wait to come home and watch Netflix. Like,
1: yeah, think about those days, or the the nights before those days, where you like get to do something kind of exciting the next day, and then it's like, oh man, I can't get to sleep. I can't get to sleep. Like, I'm so excited about tomorrow. Just if you can imagine, and then it doesn't matter. Say you're going to the beach, and you get like uh, your flights at six a.m., and then you go to bed at two. Like when that alarm goes off for me. To catch the 6 a.m. flight, it does not matter how much sleep I had. Like, I am juiced whenever that alarm... Like, I'm not going to make it to the alarm. I'm just going to be up, juiced, at the airport ready. Like, you're never worried about anything else. And so, if you can figure out a way to make every day like that... mean not every day, but most days. Like, if you can have something that you're looking forward to doing, then that's all you need to, like... Like, it's living intentional and with purpose,
0: the way you said. Right. And it's not no one's sitting here and saying that, and I'm definitely not saying that I am perfect. No one's perfect at this. I struggle with it, but it's good to be cognizant of the fact that you can get caught in that and not even realize that you're getting caught in that. So you kind of have to reprogram your mind. We talked about the morning. What do you, what do you do at night? Like I know I'm sure in the NFL and like going as being an athlete, like mind and body connection is a big thing. Right. And, um, for me, I started trying to kind of like meditate a little bit and like focus on those things. And it's hard to quiet your mind, especially after you've had like a crazy long day, and you're trying to kind of like refocus yourself, recenter yourself. Um, do you have anything that you do along those lines? I know you've done like some hot yoga stuff, or yeah, like for sure along like the meditation, like mental training kind of side of things. For
1: sure, it's a little different now than what it used to be for me. I all of my meditation stuff before, like the way I prepared at night was more about getting ready for my next day physically as far as you know making sure I would sit there and get my fluids and I would spend time kind of meditating kind of stretching just things that I knew were going to make me better for the next day but that was all physical and I I mean you look at the playbook and stuff too um, so that was a little mental but with my job now and what I'm doing I like to look over so whatever surgeries we're going to cover the next day you know I'll just go over my notes and stuff like that, kind of watch a video. Just I like to be – I hate being unprepared for stuff. I, I really do. And it's one thing if something just comes up, but like your day-to-day life when you know you have things to do and you're just rushing to put stuff together instead of being prepared.
0: Bad feeling.
1: Bad feeling. I try to avoid that at all costs. So my nighttime, my, my me time is when I cook dinner. And so I sit in my kitchen and usually t- – I mean, it takes me a while – Every night, like, I take my time, and I cook dinner. Like, I have all my music playing. And, I mean, usually I'm, like, dancing around and singing and shit, <laughs> right. but, but, honestly, like, I'm usually just have – I always say, like, good vibes. I usually have such good vibes in here when I'm just cooking dinner, like, by myself and stuff at night. Got some basketball on TV. But I make sure to – when I wind down uh, and go to bed, I'm always – I'm usually doing some sort of mental – I have some sort of like, okay, let me study this for a second or let me read about this. I mean, never hurts to brush up on your current events and stuff like that, but there's always a little something mental, but yeah, definitely. I love cook dinner and like mess around and stuff.
0: Yeah. I, um, I found kind of a love honestly for cooking when I got, I had cooked a little bit in my, in my house that I had for college, but obviously we had the. You know, play the cafeteria, a couple of different options in the cafeteria, you know, buffet style. Or then we had like Chick fil A, Subway, burger, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would cook breakfast because, like you said, I'm, I'm a big breakfast person as well. Like, if I don't eat breakfast in the morning, then my day is yeah, messed up. Like, it throws me off so bad. Um, but I've, I, yeah, dude, I fell in love with cooking because it's kind of therapeutic to an mm-hmm. extent. We both are serious about our fitness and we both know that. You know, I think at least 70% of fitness is what your diet is, is, whether that's what you're eating, when you're eating it, how much of it you're eating, like if you're eating at certain times, and then obviously how much fluids, like how much water you're pushing into your body, like daily supplements and everything like that's, it's called a supplement because it's supplementing oh, So important, like yeah. what you're doing. People think they can just take supplements <laughs> and get big, like, no. You may, yeah, Yeah, it's not happening. Right. So like the, the food side of it is super important just for, you know, health and how you feel and how you look and like overall mental health, physical health. So, but there definitely is something kind of just therapeutic about, you know, I think it, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it goes back to just like, you're only thinking about cooking the food. Like you want to make sure you do it right and you want to make sure you don't burn it cuz you just wasted your food and then you don't get to eat it enjoy it. It's kind of like the gym like you're focusing on one thing and there's not like all these outside distractions per se, you know? You kind of get what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's a, it's always been a therapeutic thing for me and it it aligns with my favorite hobby which would be just kind of training. I'm like people are always asking me, "Well, why my brother is always he always wants me to stray from my like training path and go try something new and i'm and it's really tough for me because i love hanging out with him. i love my brother and I always want to do stuff with him and but i just i i just don't like to go grab a beer on a tuesday or a, right. it's just it's not for i want to leave work and i want to go to the gym and pick up heavy shit that's all I want to do every day. Like, I, I enjoy supplemental yoga and stuff like that. But when it comes down to it, like just give me something super heavy and let me pick it up. That's, that's what I love to do. So I still train kind of similar to the way that I did even when I was playing. But I'm, I guess it's a little different because I can't quite hold the same weight as I did before, just because I'm about 60 pounds lighter than I was when I played. But and I'm a lot more shredded as well.
0: Chill. But I,
1: but seriously, I still kind of train like an athlete. But that's I just that's what I love. It's my favorite hobby.
0: Right. Shout out Jonathan King. Quit being a bad influence on this boy, Jason. <laughs>
1: yeah, seriously.
0: But yeah, so tell us a little bit about your you know, your fitness journey. Cause obviously, for those of you who don't know, this guy actually played guard and center. So he played all over the line, but he was 315 pounds. Like looks a lot different than he does now. So that was now you're what 260 pounds.
1: Yeah, I'm like 265. I want to gain like another five pounds. What I did, I, I really lost a ton of weight really fast. Um, and I I wish that I I wish that I did it a little differently because I kind of bl- I changed my diet and then I kind of blinked and I was like 255, and I thought like, oh shit, this is. I just lost way too much weight. I mean, there was times when I was playing at like 318. Right. So, even in high school, I was like 310, like three close to 315. And, of course, that body weight kind of changed um, as I you know, progressed. I started getting leaner, but I was always that heavy. But I think now – I mean, I was probably 310 in high school – I remember my pants. I remember shopping for a size 46 big. 46 (laughs) (laughs) big. Bro, I swear to God, I remember shopping for a size 46 big. And then by the time I finished and I was playing in New England, I was probably like 305, but I was wearing a a 40. So I had trimmed down so much. And even when I was 305, like I always had – you could always see like a couple of abs poking out and stuff. But now that I lost all that weight, I mean – and it it was fun to do, but I'm just we'll just say I'm I feel good. I'm ready for the summer.
0: Right. So talk suit. talk to me about offensive linemen in the NFL because it's yeah. a totally different breed. Like those dudes are 300 plus pounds, but Man. they are super athletic.
1: It's crazy. I mean, you watch the combine. You just you see guys walk out there. I, there was a dude that was like damn near 370 a couple days ago that ran a five like a 501 or something like that.
0: I saw dude, that dude, that, that dude was six seven, three sixty, and five Oh one laser.
1: People have no idea people on the street. If anybody's listening to this and you're not, I'm not talking about an athlete. Like I go to the gym and work out. If you're not an actual athlete and you think that you can walk onto the field and even run a four nine, then, then please just have, one of, <laughs> have somebody record. Don't have one of your boys record it go find you a laser and find out that you run a 58 cuz <laughs> cuz you're you're not running you're not running a 49 i mean the the kids in high school that run 48s and stuff like none of that stuff is legitimate and i'm not being a hater but these guys are literally flying on the turf i mean it is incredible to see i ran i think i ran like a 50 507 or something like that uh, on my pro day and i was i think i did it at 308 and that was that was fast i mean that's i mean i've always been i've always been an athlete i you know i jumped really high um i had the for at least a couple minutes i had the best i had the you know bench press record for the year um which was 225 by 36 at pro day until 2 minutes later my best friend in college decided to do 41 or 42 Shout-out um, Roos, right? Shout-out Roos. Shout-out Roos. Yeah, that's my boy. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's just a freak. But, yeah, I mean, those guys are moving so fast. So, when you're looking at these O-linemen who are playing in the NFL, like, sure, some teams have guys who are a little bit heavier, a little bit sloppier maybe. They're like – they like to play at 330, 340, 6'4", 6'5", you know, tackles 325, and they're like – you know maybe 6768 those i mean those guys are absolute animals i just i always think about the collisions that happen and what people can't understand is you got to find some way to watch the line play in full speed but as a close up so you can see like why all my fingers are broken and why my back so messed up and why like everybody's elbows are messed up and knees and why my ankles click when I walk. I mean this, it is, it is insane. The amount of force are coming that's coming from dudes who are just massive. I mean, I'm, I'm still bigger and stronger than everybody else that I know. And like if I go walk around in public, I still am. And now I would just look like a baby next to all those guys I was playing with, you know, just a year ago. So yeah, it's intense. I mean those it is it is a scary sight to see when you're up close, like the stuff you're seeing and hearing.
0: Right. So while we're on the uh physical and you know the way that we look kind of aspect of things. So for those of you who can't see Jason right now or haven't seen any of the visuals, he is a light skinned redhead. <laughs> Pretty ugly if you ask me. What a good looking guy. <laughs> But anyways, Humbly. yeah. Um, and then his family is also Jewish. So he, he started off with just, he is a melting pot of all different kinds yeah. of cultures and looks. And tell me kind of what that was like growing up. Like whether that was, uh, you know, Jewish or whether that was as a light-skinned kid growing up. Or, I mean, either of those things, you know. Tell me, tell me kind of what it was like.
1: I had, I mean, today, I think I was working in a hospital today. And I've been working on these people for about six months now. And finally... I saw like a whole group of these, uh, ladies like chuckling and one of them finally walked up and was like, Hey, like, can I just ask you like, what's your nationality? And I'm like, okay, like, well, that's the 10th time today. So it's such a common thing for me. Like growing up, I was like you said, I've got, you know, my dad who is just a bigger blacker version of me. And then I've got my mom, who is just a little, like, ginger Jewish white lady. And together, made, you know, big mix <laughs> ginger, ginger Jewish. Jewish yeah. uh, so, I do. I, it's weird, because my skin is light. I wish it was a little bit darker, but my skin is light. I've got, like, this orange, definitely black people here, but still a little curly. You know, I've got the red beard, but... I have features and textures that are, that are black, but my skin is definitely still lighter. So it really confuses people, especially little kids because they just don't care at all. So like when I walk by little kids, they just stare at me like relentlessly and don't look away. Like what is that thing? But yeah, growing up, um, it was, it was different. You get picked on for being a ginger regardless. right? And then being bigger is always cool but I was like the husky kid, which my mom always said. I'm like, mom, you could have saved me a lot of like, if you would have just told me that I was fat, like I could have done something about it. Right. Instead, they just kept saying like, oh, you're just, you like to get a little round and then you sprout up, you know, something, <laughs> something stupid like it's that. It's just uh, feeding your growth spurts. Yeah. You just have to go out and then go up. And I'm like, I still get onto her about that. I'm like, please just, you should have told me I was fat. Why like, didn't you just
0: break it to me, yeah, mom? tell me.
1: But one thing with the girls growing up, I was always it was always tough because again, my so my brother was just like my brother's now he's shorter he is shorter than I am I'm like six a a real six four that if I was the guy at the bar who was lying to you I would be like yeah I'm like six 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 seven like so be be beware of that but I'm I'm a legitimate like six four and a half and. Growing up when I was a chubby kid, the guys like my brother who were the shorter, like pretty boys and careful, stuff. he's going to be on. Later. I know, I know, I know. But even most of my friends, they, they were like, I had a lot of their friends that looked like the little kids that stand outside a Hollister shirtless, like dancing, like, and they would always have all the girls. And I remember thinking in my head, like, someday this is going to change on them. This is going to change at some point, and us big dudes are going to get some love. And sure enough, I mean, as you know, I was right. So the, the, <laughs> the tide, dude, I'm telling you. This dude isn't a,
0: is a little bit proud or anything. I'm
1: telling you, dude, the tide turned. Well, you have to go through that when you're young. Like, growing up, you know, you're just a little chubby kid, and then it just kind of changes for you. But – it was cool. I mean, you get picked on for the red hair and stuff like that, but that's just why I decided like I was gonna be stronger than everyone else. Because then you just, you know, you slam some kid into the, the locker.
0: And, it's like that bully that the one dude finally stood <laughs> up to him, and then he just got like slammed on his head.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you just you gotta do what you gotta do, and then, but on seriously, on, on a serious note, you can talk about growing up here in like the deep south and being right, you know, being black being a Jew like that's not something that's always easy for people as as we know and we see stories about every day but that was kind of tough for me at times and uh people a lot of people don't believe it when i first tell them but even i've experienced like a lot of things and, and my skin is light and a lot of people like if i shave my beard like throw a hat on a lot of people would just think i was a white dude so i had to have times growing up where like i would hear I'd be at a party with all my white friends, or I'd go visit some of my white friends, like in college even, and people casually throw around the N-word. Not your nice N-word singing a song, I'm talking like the hard N-word, Right. and then they realize like, oh my gosh, dude, I'm so sorry, like I didn't mean anything by it. And it's like, from that moment on, for me, in my head, I'm not gonna sit here and fight you, like I'm not gonna beat your ass because of it, which... I didn't used to feel that way. I used to be much more aggressive about it, but now I just like casually think like, you know what? That's their loss. Like, I'm not mad about it. I'll just never respect this person ever again. And then when it comes to like dating, you know, I've had times where things have, maybe I've had a crush on someone or things have gotten to uh, even, even dating like recently, you know, something happens and somebody Finds out you're Jewish or something or didn't know that you're black or something like that. And they hear that or you hear them say something about a black guy or a Jewish guy. And it's like, oh, my gosh, press the panic button. Like, where do I
0: run? I'm pretty sure you've told me a story. Obviously, I don't know what stories we
1: can. (laughs) I don't know what stories we can hit on. But there was definitely I've I've had a couple of them where it seems to have been a surprise
0: for someone who like and to anyone who has seen jason and wouldn't know (laughs) that he is half black i say sir you are an idiot i
1: completely agree
0: but i digress it has happened before and Mm -hmm. people have seen family portraits and seen like what Uh, yeah like yeah which makes no sense to me it's absolutely ignorant but I mean, that's just, you know, that's just how some people are and it's just their loss. if you ask me, yeah I, sure. um, I played AU basketball growing up. Basketball was my first love. And so, I mean, honestly, I grew up around black people like my entire life. Yeah. Like I was the only white dude on the team and we were traveling all over the United States. So I'm talking like nine, 10 hour bus rides in the hotels, chopping it up, like, Hanging out in the ho- like hotel rooms, like playing video games, playing Xbox, practicing today, like all that stuff. So every day. So I got I got to see that side of things. But then I also grew up in the South where I got to see the side and like racism rear its nasty head, that kind of side of things. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a sad reality that we live in. I think that sometimes the media paints it to be something bigger than it is at times do I think that it exists a hundred percent and I think it's nasty and it absolutely is. But honestly, I think that, you know, everyone just should come together and put all their differences aside. Cause at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all have, you know, the same feelings and, you know, we all have families and we all have people that we love and care about. And like, we're all here on this earth for, you know, the same reason. Yeah. So that's my, that's my take on that. But yeah. So, so a little bit about your family, man. Like what, What was it like growing up? Like, tell me, so your mom, right? She, her grandparents were, started Weight Watchers or were a part of Weight Watchers or how did that?
1: Yeah, uh, they were kind of, you know, when when it was first starting and being, you know, it broke down into franchises and stuff like that. But when it was first starting, my, my grandparents were kind of in the startup of that. And, you know, we walked away with what, what my mother is now like the president and CEO of now, which is you know, a chunk of the South here and, um, you know, Weight Watchers of Arkansas, of course, and stuff like that. And that honestly, thinking back on it now, it could, could have been what started my like love for this nutrition fitness thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I would just sit in on those meetings after school when I was too little to understand and kind of just take all that information in. But yeah, so my mom does that. My dad, um, huge car guy. Uh, we got some, car detail shop and we just built some uh, automatic car washes here in little rock and go ahead
0: and shout them out wiggy wash yeah go go shout out slide, the way
1: slide over to wiggy wash riverfront slide detail over. go go get you a discount tell them i'm the homie for sure <laughs> but seriously I, I worked some tough summers up there growing up and i still i still go out there myself and and wash my baby i wash my truck all the time and now i'm you know washing the, the x5 now and yeah, it's cool. Uh, I, it's rubbed off on me. I love cars, just like, just like he kind of instilled that in me. So, uh, and then I have my brother, who's you know he's a clown. He's he's something else. He's definitely one of my favorite people in the world. He's maybe the most interesting man in the world. I think you guys will hear from him uh, in the future on the on the pod. So we'll see. But yeah, it's a it, we're pretty. Pretty cool, different, creative family, and absolutely. I think we all are kind of still, even though my parents are obviously, um, you know, older and further along in their careers. I think we're all. I get that drive from them, and we're all kind of still trying to work on things and build things. I know, like this car wash thing, uh, has been a dream of my dad's for forever. He's always had his detail shop, but this whole new automatics thing, and mm-hmm. now I'm all all in on. I'm always calling a mom dad have you found the next property for the next one have you found the next property for the next one because I want to go all in on it with them as well so hopefully I get to do that business with my with my parents here soon and get that the next car washes and stuff built I did just buy the lot that I was it. about to say you <laughs> bought a lot
0: of like landowner like I said in the intro so you know dive into that a little bit how what was the thought process and all that
1: yeah I mean, I won't get into numbers, but there was a lot across the street from directly across the street from my my dad's newest car washes and I just figured that it would be a great first piece of land for me. I knew they, they cut, people kind of had to get it sold and it's a really great lot over on uh over on John Barrow and there's a really high traffic count all the things that you would want when you're looking at buying some property. So it hasn't been like fully developed or anything like that. And I don't necessarily, I have a couple of ideas, but I'm going to hold, finish holding on to it for a year before I decide if I want to build on it or sell it. But in the meantime, it was just a good first project for me to see as far as, okay, if you take a large chunk of money out of your bank account, which always scared me. And it, I think it scares a lot of people and you always have these ideas to start projects, but you're scared because you don't want to spend the money. But I didn't spend the money. I mean, I I bought dirt, of course, but that money did not go to zero. I mean, it's not in my bank account anymore, but it's somewhere that's actually going to be more valuable, and I've already seen that. So even though I can't look at it every day, I know that that land is there, and when I sell it, it'll be better for me. It'll be much better for me in the long term rather than just you know sitting there.
0: That's such a great way to look at it because – A lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I'm just throwing a random number out here. But like, I just bought this lot for $10,000 and now I'm out $10,000. Right. No, wrong. You just put $10,000 into a piece of property that holds a value of upwards of that $10,000. Yeah. And that depending on what goes on around it could be $50,000 in a year. Yeah. Or some company that really wants to build on it, some corporate company that has millions of dollars could come to you and say, hey, I want this property for $100,000. Right. And then you just had a $90,000 profit. So you can't think of investments like that, especially when it comes to real estate or land, Right, that you're throwing your money away because it is an investment. And yes, you may have to be patient, but I highly encourage anyone that has capital like that to think about their future and think about investing in things that are going to, you know, provide for you later. Assets, not liabilities. That's the whole assets versus liabilities. Exactly. Do I want to buy, you know, real estate or do I want to put my money in, in certain stocks and let it grow or do, you know, I want to buy a new pair of shoes or a new flat screen? Like,
1: Yeah, playing in the NFL, you see plenty of that. I'm like, gosh, you're watching so much money get wasted by people – who have great financial advisors and stuff, but they're just like, no, diamonds, See,
0: that's the thing. How, I mean, obviously the players, and you know, part of it comes to ignorance. The fact that a lot of these guys didn't grow up with any type of financial um, IQ, which, you know, not everyone does. A majority of people don't. Right. So, and that's something that I've kind of taken a lot of interest into. And I mean, part of the reason why I kind of wanted to start this, because I feel like a lot of people Our age, you know, mid 20s, they start making a little bit of money, but then they don't really know what to do with it. And then they spend it on stupid things instead of investing in their future when they're 60 or 50 and want to retire. Yeah. Right. So it's like.
1: But there's a fine line. I mean, I also bought myself. A pretty sick car yeah and that and is not that's a mean. depreciating like, asset yeah no doubt gentlemen. no doubt as soon as it comes but, off the lot <laughs> exactly and i and i will say i nicknamed i nicknamed my new car uh mamba or bean for kobe bean bryant because it was the day after kobe's passing and i was i was talking to my dad and i was like dad i really want to buy this new car. Like I've got the money for it, but everybody in my family makes fun of me for being as frugal as I am. Like, I just don't spend. And my dad told me like, you know, any day, any day could be your last. Like you can't take all the, you can't take money with you to the grave. So you have to find, he was like, if you want the car, like you, you deserve it. Like go buy it first. You can afford it. Go buy it for yourself. So I did. Now you have that fine line between, buying a bunch of stupid shit and then buying things for your future. Like you do have to find that, but every once in a while, you know, you got to work hard and play hard and you got to make sure don't, you know, I'm not telling you to save every single dollar you've ever made, but you got to have your fun too. Cause it's no, it's, I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you're making when you're little, like when you're young, if, if you're having no fun with it, I mean, what's the point really?
0: Absolutely. yeah, I agree. You know, there's a fine line and i'm all about balance like that's a huge thing in my life is balance knowing and it's something i'm even working on today sometimes to be able to like say no cuz i just love to go 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 and anything you know and anything in life i like to just go push the like push the pedal to the metal but it's all about balance to me and like you said man life is short so obviously you have to think about your future. Even if you don't have a family now, if that's something that you want in the future, like think that, Hey, I'm going to have a wife, kids, like that's an expense. Yeah. Like, do I want to put my kids? <laughs> that's kid... an expense. That's <laughs> yeah. Let me restate. That is an expense, expense, <laughs> that's an expense times like 10, you know, keep going, but that's a different story. But anyways, just think about your future at the same time as being able to enjoy the moment because you know, you are only pro- promised this moment. So you got to be able to have fun but you know responsibly and be yeah. able to think about hey down the line do i want to retire when i'm 50 or do i want to retire when i'm 60 do i want to work for someone till i'm 35 or do i want to work to someone till i'm like 60 you and know?
1: use use your use your 20s use your 30s like while we're young use that time to shoot your shot like i'm not talking about for me, I've never pictured save, save, save until I'm forty, and then try to do some hot shit and, and make a bunch of money, make it big. Like I want to spend. Like I have a project that I'm working on this year to get something made, and I've had, I've I've been drawing it up for a while, but it's kind of like a football equipment thing, like we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of steps to creating something new. But you can never get anything done if you don't take step one. So I'm trying to figure out how to get it done and sure things that are important and potentially life changing. Those things take time, but shoot your shot while you're young. Like, you know, if I lose five thousand bucks tomorrow or something on an idea that I had, like. Who cares? I tried and that's not going to hurt me in the long run probably going to help
0: you. Yeah, ex- exactly. Because when you have more money to invest, you're not going to make that same. That, that's true.
1: But also, I mean, you can read studies on this. My my brother's talked to me about it a lot and he's a, he's a finance guy. Well, he's kind of a jack of all trades at this point, but, um, you know, it takes losing your own money for the first time. Like, you know, if you're a guy who wants to get into the market and stuff, it, it really takes losing some of your own money the first time to kind of appreciate, when you make that first gain and stuff like that, you know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah. Speaking of the market, the this whole coronavirus thing has tanked the market. This is the biggest tank since two thousand and eight, which was a recession. Right. And it's all due to this virus <laughs> that has killed That's tough. A I shouldn't laugh. Small I mean, percentage timing. of people compared to yeah. like the flu or right. I mean any of these other traffic
1: get your flu shot do you want to
0: drive to do you want to drive to work tomorrow guess what you have a higher chance of dying tomorrow than going and getting coronavirus that's true so chill out
1: i i agree with that
0: for now i agree yeah but don't quote us on that i (laughs) might come back a month from now and say i was extremely wrong wrong. we're in trouble yes i am wearing a mask and i'm not coming out of my house yeah but um, yeah, man, it's it's just crazy. It just goes to show you the power of media too, though. Mm-hmm. Cause who knows how long China was sitting on this one and two? I mean, you have the trade wars with China going on right now a little bit. And
1: conspiracy theories?
0: Uh, I'm not going conspiracy theories. I'm just saying, like something small. I'm not saying it's small. People have legit died, right? But. I mean, it's crazy how a little tick can, you know, change the meter like it can.
1: All I know is someone very close to me, their best trade of their life was the amount of money that they made when mad cow disease <laughs> took over and McDonald's price went all the way to the bottom. And they said, This is ridiculous. I'm going to buy a ton of it. And of course, it's McDonald's. So while everybody else is panicking
0: and selling
1: and selling. Yeah. I mean, come on. Let's just look at history here.
0: Yep. And anyone that is into the market deep or has been investing will tell you the exact same thing right now is the best time to buy. And it's it sucks because you're like, oh, no, I'm losing so much money. But don't sell. Buy, buy, buy. Cut your losses and then throw as much money as you have to buy while well, this stuff is on sale. It's like Black Friday for the stock market right now. Ooh. So take advantage of that if you can.
1: This None of this was my advice. This is all Mason's advice. While, <laughs> while I
0: do stand yeah, by. Yeah, y'all are going to send me hate were, mail. Yeah. Y'all are going to send me hate mail like, I lost so much money because you. i never listening to your podcast again. Yeah, that's true. Thanks. but. So I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit. You just told me how you named the new X-5 after Kobe. Bean. Bean. The Bean. That's right. The Bean. So I know that while you were with the Patriots, Kobe came and visited and talked to you about Mamba mentality. You got a picture with him. You got to shake his hand. And um, I remember you telling me that, you know, there was never a room of high-profile athletes so locked oh, yeah. into to another man like that. So, kind of just give me give me your story about that. Kind of what the experience was,
1: man. If I if I remember it correctly, I, I want to say we were coming off the practice field. I guess we we're yeah yeah. I think we we're coming off the practice field, and because because the picture that I have, I, I was practicing these little baby short shorts. I mean, they were. They were way too short for me to be wearing, kind of <laughs> like the, the ones that I have on right now. <laughs> yeah, and um, I was wearing those, and I only remember that because he kind of clowned my shorts, and was like, Th- "Those shits are stupid," but it, it was you know it was funny. But uh, he clowned no, you. <laughs> yeah, he Kobe did. Legit clowned he me. did. He clowned me. But I will say, we you know when Coach Belichick is like, I right, you know I have a hey, I have a guest that I'm gonna. I'm going to bring in like you guys might like him. Like here's Kobe. And like Kobe walks in the door. <laughs> Kobe walks in and I'm like, "We're I've never like we're talking about a bunch of athletes here. A bunch of multi, you know, Super Bowl champion guys, some of the greatest athletes um on the planet. Uh and I got to see their eyes light up like they were little kids. And I will say this, I'm a LeBron guy until I die Lebron goat James put it down
0: put it down i'm
1: I'm a LeBron guy through and through. I got all the jerseys this and that i I was never I always respected Kobe, but I was never overly obsessed with Kobe Bryant like a lot of my friends were when he came and spoke to us, I completely changed my outlook on everything that I thought about him before. And what I thought was this, like, persona that he kind of put on for people. Like, when I looked in his eyes and, like, heard him speak to us, which, you know, you won't find any – this is a cool thing. You won't find any film or any audio from this session because he knew that he was walking in to talk to the team and the coaches and there was not going to be any recordings. He was completely unfiltered. And I heard him say some things that I, I personally couldn't believe. And he talked about the high points in his life and the low points of his life. And he talked about, you know, the birth of the mama mentality when he was just getting cooked at halftime and he had to make a decision. I think he said he was in maybe Denver. I, I can't remember. He was, I think it was Mac that he said was cooking him or something, but um he was getting cooked at Denver. Whoever he was guarding had like 30 at half. He, he had missed a bunch of shots. And he said he looked in the mirror and came up with a mama mentality and just decided, you know, basketball is my love. Like nothing else that ever goes on in my life is going to stop my love of basketball. And when I'm doing this, like this is all that I'm thinking about. And he put his all into it, which we obviously could see you know, in the product that he showed us on the court, but hearing the way he, I mean, that dude was a savage. He talked about, you know, the way he would study, you know, players tapes and he would want to know, you know, things that happened. This guy said he wanted to know, you know, things that had happened in, you know, certain guys like lives to get a feel for, you know, what they were thinking and how they were feeling and how they operated. And he talked about how long he would watch, you know, the tape on like Allen Iverson. Cause he just couldn't, it just made him so mad that Allen Iverson could kind of get the best of him every once in a while. And it was just incredible. We're, we're talking about, I mean, Kobe Bryant, it's just incredible for me to even go back to that moment. And I remember how I felt when I first saw him, because I'm like, Oh my God, this is so special. But afterwards, you know, I did, I, I walked back into the locker room and I was sitting there and I was like, what am I doing? Like, I will regret this for the rest of my life if I don't run my ass back in there and ask him for a picture. And I run back in there and I see one guy, my buddy will Ty, and he's taking a picture with Kobe and I just, like, I have this series of photos where I'm kind of, like, sneaking up behind him, trying to, like, get my arm around him in the background. I'm like, hey, I don't know how he's re- going to react, so just, like, hammer the the, button, the camera button. Like, take as many pictures as you can. So, it's kind of me, like, creeping up behind him, like, smiling. And then, like, I get my arm around him, of course, like, he just looks at me and smiles back, and he's just, like, happy to be there, you know? And he was such a cool guy, and we had a couple words, and I told him how much I appreciated his talk and i think the the biggest thing for me was seeing the way everybody else you know in that room and how big time some of our guys were on our team on the pats and seeing how much respect they had for like one of the greats like kobe so i guess you know the one thing if i was going to talk about you know kind of anything that he left us with was even through all the basketball stuff he spent the most time talking about like how important it was for him to be there for his kids and his wife. And he even talked about, you know, when he, the day he decided to purchase his helicopter and how, you know, it costs so much money for him to take that helicopter every day to and from like Staples, you know, in and out of LA and this and that. And he was like, there's no price. There's no amount of money that he was going to put on being able to make it to train every morning and practice every morning and this and that, and still be able to make it back to his little girls, like basketball game and make it back and go to dinner with his wife. So that was the whole reason behind that. And he talked about it for a while and he just made such a point. Like don't take the bad stuff that happens from your day. If you lose a game or if you have a bad day at work, don't take that home with you and, you know, put that on your wife and kids and family. He's like, they're just there to, you know, love you. And that's what you're supposed to be there uh, to do for them. So, you know, I'll carry that part with me forever. And yeah, I'll I'll forever appreciate, you know, that day he came and spoke to us.
0: Yeah. And I mean, obviously that's so special now. I mean, with the tragedy that's happened Mm -hmm. and I mean, you know, he just, you don't really realize it. I honestly, growing up, growing up, I was a Kobe hater. I would same with Tom. Tom yeah. and Kobe, yeah. I was, I was like, a Tom hater for sure. Yeah, both of them, I was like, "Dude, screw these dudes! Like, they're so cocky. I don't like their attitudes. Like, you know, Kobe never passes the rock. Like, mm-hmm. he's not a man of the people. Yeah. Then Bron comes along. You know, he's like everyone join. You know, I just love that about Bron because yeah. he was like one. He had all. Like, the whole world looking at him. Like, he was literally the chosen one on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 18 years old. Lived up to it. And lived up to it. How many people could you put in that position with that fame, that money, all those women, all that liquor, drugs, whatever, you, whatever your downfall is? And that man stayed so focused that he stayed with his high school sweetheart. Literally had kids with her. Mm -hmm. Nobody else. He has no little. He doesn't even have scandals out there. He has zero. I cannot remember a LeBron scandal. And this man (laughs) has been famous since he was 17 years old. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just extremely respect that. And then I obviously respect how he plays the game all around. Like, he's obviously one of the top. What is it? Did he just do top five scores of all time? He just passed. I mean, I know he just passed Kobe. Yeah, yeah. But I think he's top five of all time. What a freak he's going to be top 10 or top five in rebounds and assists
1: assists for sure. Yeah. Probably everything. Probably everything. Like
0: all the while, you know, building a school, like standing up for his community, like being a martyr in a sense. But I don't know. I just respected that. But back to Kobe, I mean, there's a different respect that you have once you get a little older and you're not just a fan and you realize how hard these people work. And that's what, that's how it, organically happened for me and brady and also kobe because i just realized that their work ethic is second to none and that's something that anyone that has a job or has dreams or has something that they want to achieve can look up to because those dudes are absolute grinders and it didn't matter what they got they were always looking for the next thing and like that may be a gift and a curse like you know they obviously, you have to respect that. The mama mentality is something that will give you success in life. If you adapt that mentality, you will have success because you won't be denied. Like that's the whole basis around it. That's the whole premise is no one's going to dime me. I'm going to be the best. Um, I kind of just relay that back though. At the same time, I'm thinking about there's this guy that I like to listen to and follow a little bit. He does a podcast. He's pretty active on social media. His name's Steve Weatherford. He was a punter for the New York Giants when they beat the Patriots, actually, in the Mm, Super Bowl. Super Bowl champion. Yeah. Super Bowl champion. I think it was the game when Tyreek had the helmet catch. Mm. And he set a Super Bowl record for most punts inside the five. But he just recalls winning the Super Bowl. You know, obviously it's the biggest accomplishment that an athlete could think of, really. I mean, I don't I don't think even in any other sport there's a bigger thing than the Super Bowl. And I'm sure T V ratings would tell you the same thing. Yeah. But um he just said he just recalls being in this hotel after the game thinking like So this is it. <laughs> like I just won the Super Bowl. Oh my God. And gosh. like, you know, the adrenaline, you know, is kinda wearing off a little bit and like I'm sure he's about to go out and party and stuff, but like He's just kind of coming down a little bit like I finally reached the pinnacle and I feel like I should feel more than this. And I feel like that just goes back to like the whole thing. Like how how would you feel then? You're like your brain is just blown. Like you finally accomplished this huge goal that you had set and then you're just like why do I not feel more fulfilled right now? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that's insane. I mean I, I, I can't really – I can't imagine. Obviously you can't I'm not trying to
0: rub it in here, Jason. I know that the, I know that the Philadelphia Eagles and Big Dick Nick really hurt your soul. Yeah. But I mean, dude, that's just I I mean, I think it stands true for Kobe and Tom. You know, they've won so many and yet they just keep coming back for more because once that high wears off, guess what? It's back to the grind.
1: Yeah, I mean, does Super Bowls excite them, or does not losing excite I them? I think I think they it's just not get losing.
0: So, I think it was John <laughs> Wooden, like obviously one of the greatest coaches of all time, yeah. that said, "I hate losing more than I like winning." Yeah, no doubt. That was me. I know. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, that's me. Like when we have, when I have successes in life, that's something that I expect. Like I want to win, and that's just the way I'm wired. But when I lose, it's like, mm. like, yeah. I'm like ah.
1: I can forget about a win. I cannot forget when I'm when I, I'm losing something
0: or you mess up like, yeah, I can't forget it. It's just on in my mind head, until I
1: can figure out how to win.
0: Right. And it really does. I need to do a better job of letting that stuff go. But it really does like weigh on you a little because you just think about it. You're like, I should have done this. I could have done this. Like, why didn't I do this? You know, and that's a good way to think, but it's also like, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't hold on to it too long. You got to let it go. Sometimes. It could be dangerous. It could be dangerous. So I'm, uh, I'm looking up at the wall right now. We're at, we're at Jason's apartment. I see BG Blake Griffin got the black Brooklyn jerseys. Those are so fire.
1: My Detroit. Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My Detroit.
0: Jersey. Yeah, yeah. The Detroit Brooklyn, excuse me, Detroit. And then we got one of his best buddies from Purdue. Correct. Yep. Yeah, Roos. Shout out Roos, seventy two, and then Dusty's goofy ass. Yeah, so we got Dusty up there too. So yeah, tell got, tell a little got a about those guys. We're
1: hanging up, I guess. So th- I, yeah, I like to decorate my my place in jerseys, and I've got kind of, I've got my Purdue jersey that I played my most games in, and I've got the Blake Griffin jersey, which started as like a ha ha. Everybody tell me I looked like Blake Griffin. Throughout my childhood, so I would, you know, I bought one of those like one dollar jerseys from China with his name on it, and I was wearing it for Halloween one year, and he he spotted it, and he saw it on Instagram, and he kind of sent me like a hey, that's pretty funny, and he kind of struck up like a, a strange friendship, and I actually was watching one of my other best friend Dusty's uh, games in Memphis that weekend, and I saw that the Pistons were going to be playing in Memphis, so I just uh, I just texted him and was like, hey, I'm not going to lie to you. I bought that Chinese jersey for like a dollar uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you saw in my picture. Like, it'd be pretty sick if you'd throw me that one that you have on after the game. He was like, yeah, sure. I'll have my like management come grab you from the stands and get it to you. So, yeah, I mean, I about got got tackled and taken out when I was walking out of the arena with a sweaty Blake Griffin jersey. But, yeah, he's super cool. I mean, just like. Most, I mean, a lot of these athletes out here, like they're they they're just cool guys that love to hoop, you know, and right. I appreciate that. And then, yeah, Jordan Roos got his Seahawks jersey up, the neon color rush jersey. It's his seventy two jersey. He just switched back to sixty four. Uh, he's going into year four, I believe. Uh, I was just best man in his wedding, and that was a blast. I mean, except planning a bachelor. Party with Jimmy Graham and Luke Wilson for him was a little daunting of a task, but it was fun. I will <laughs> say that.
0: Hey, Sh- Roos, um, if you were listening to this, I need one of the shirts, man. I've been asking Jason so since he won't get me one. Yeah, you need to send me one, Shout bro. Out Just to the hit Creature Man brand. The Creature Man brand. These shirts are badass for anyone that's listening. But yeah, I need one of those. Um,
1: so yeah, we became best friends in college, and. Um, We roomed together for one year, couldn't live with him anymore because he was disgusting to live with in uh, in the dorm when I was a freshman, Uh, but yeah, I mean, I love the guy, we still, I mean, we talk all the time, he's called me like three times during this podcast, so if he hears this, leave me alone, stop calling my phone, and then there's the dusty jersey that I have up over there, and he you know, we've been best buds since we were, we're like brothers, uh, since I guess we played little league basketball together, but we be, we really became close, I guess, uh, eighth grade whenever I switched over to the high school he was at. And gosh, we've done so much stupid shit together throughout the years. It's pretty incredible. Uh, so he's playing right now for the Memphis Grizzlies and their G league affiliate, the Memphis hustle. So pretty much any weekend that I have that, you know, they play at home. That's about an hour and 45 minutes from Little Rock. So, I'll usually just go crash on his couch and go to the games. He always came to all mine whenever he could. So, uh yeah, I mean, his family is like my family and vice versa. So, they're really just a couple of the hardest working guys that I know. So, you know, I hang their jerseys in my apartment because it reminds me you know, of the way that, you know, I want to be with just being relentless and working and working. And there's a couple more jerseys, uh, hanging in my bedroom. I've got Kevin Pamphile who plays guard for the Titans. And, uh, he was one of my roommates, my sophomore year of college. And, um, he's another guy who, you know, went, I guess he, he got drafted, I think in the fifth round, but he was about three years older than me, but he's still just playing ball and hanging on. And People just don't realize how much that takes. I mean, it is a daily struggle, and you know I respect anybody who can do it. So, yeah, it's all fun. Then I got my Super Bowl jersey uh, hanging up uh, that I got framed after the game, and that was the jersey that I wore for the game. It's nice and clean because I did not get it dirty that day, but I did get to... Blackout afterwards with my <laughs> brother and Gucci <laughs> Mane and JLo and Florida Georgia Line and et cetera et cetera. So that was pretty sick, I guess.
0: Yeah. So while we're talking about that, I'm I have a little train of thought to go off of, but just for entertainment purposes, tell me a little bit. I know it might be a little tough to recall, but <laughs> the uh, you know what was it like as far as you know? You're at a Super Bowl. You are on the field and your team that you've been grinding with all off season or however long. Yeah. Is about to literally go and you're about to you're about to play in the Super Bowl. Like
1: Yeah. I mean it there's no feeling like it. I mean, I literally there can't be another feeling like that in the world. We touched down in Minneapolis, I guess. We get there a week early and you know, we have the planes, so we take the um we take the Jets, the Pats planes, um I'm trying to remember oh they call them the
0: aircrafts get it the air crafts. The the aircraft about craft cheese is craft cheese the same thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> whatever bro. like those craft squares you know we
1: do, trust me we were not eating craft squares oh i'm sure um but we take the aircrafts over there and then they actually had another aircraft for our family to ride on so but we go up a week early and we get there we practice in minneapolis we use the minnesota vikings facility i uh, get a full week of practice in. I want to say by about Friday, you knew if you were going to be playing in the game or not. And I wasn't playing in the game. So my brother was flying in and I let my brother stay in my hotel room. My parents went and got their own thing, of course, but my brother crashed in my room um, in the mall of America and that hotel is attached. And coach Belichick, he was like, Hey, if you're not playing the game, I'm gonna switch your guys' rooms to a different floor, and you don't have like we're gonna remove the security from the your
0: floor. So, she, you, so the guys had security. So, oh yeah, of course. Big so security. So he
1: removed the nighttime like bed check security and stuff from our. Obviously, our floors were still secure, but he gave us the go ahead. Like, just know you're gonna practice on Friday and Saturday. But you're not playing the game, so I'm not go, worried about go you. live your best life. But but be ready to be ready to practice, because like I mean, if you walk into one of our practice, I mean you'll you'll get killed if you're not like head on a swivel. I don't mean, dude, I, I don't know if anybody realizes what it feels like to have a guy like Hightower run at you from ten yards away and just collide with the side of your head, but it sucks. And those are moments that I absolutely loved and that I'll never forget. But in the moment when you can't see or like spell anything for a second, it's pretty wild. So, uh, I want, yeah, we went to the, I took my brother to the, oh, my brother gets there. And the first person that he sees, I, I bring him on the elevator and take him past our security. And we go one floor up and the elevator beeps and it's Gronk getting on and Gronk he gets on he's talking to me he's like yo Jay king like what are you gonna do like you guys get to go out tonight like i'm i'm so jealous what are you gonna do and i'm like man i think i'm gonna go to the barstool sports party so i had met dave portnoy uh el prez the day before and i was talking to him on instagram we were going back and forth in the dms and stuff and i was telling him like i'm gonna go out like i might go to the barstool sports party and so i'm talking to gronk and he's like bro you have to go you gotta go and the next thing that I know, <laughs> he he starts talking like pretty funny and like wild. Uh, I won't quote him, but <laughs> pretty funny stuff. And then he sees my; it's like he didn't even notice my brother was on the elevator. So then he looks over and he sees my brother, and he didn't know my brother at all. And he's like, "Oh man, like uh, I'm so sorry. Like I'm so sorry that you just heard me all, say all of that." And of course, I'm like, "Dude, relax. Like that's just my big brother, and that's it was all good." But that was the first person that, like, my brother bumped into when he first, you know, came and met up. So he already was like, I got to buckle up for a wild weekend. And so, yeah, we went to the barstool party with all the guys who weren't going to be playing. Um, Either the guys who were on practice squad or the guys on, like, IR and stuff. Gosh, we just, I mean, yeah, we raged. We raged for a couple days. The next night was, like, partying with, like, Migos and stuff like that, which was sick. And then um, then you had the game. I mean, we had our picture day and stuff, uh, which was yeah, a lot of cool pictures and videos of all of this stuff. But then we had the game, and, um, you know, that was tough. We got really, really – of course, everybody's so excited for it. And you know, I can't really describe the emotions on that day, but I, you never really knew – that the game was over until like a tragic ending.
0: Dude, that was, that honestly was one of the best Super Bowls I've it ever. It was seen. a pretty
1: insane game.
0: I think about two Super Bowls that come straight to mind. That one, because it was like, what? And 28 to
1: three. A- and Falcons. Okay, for sure. Okay. Come on.
0: Definitely that one. But also, Ben Roethlisberger to oh, Holmes. Yeah, shocking. The toe tapper.
1: Was that the James Harrison?
0: That was the James Harrison. 10? That was against Arizona and Kurt Warner. Yeah, that's right. But dude, yeah, I forgot about the twenty-eight to three. That was yeah, that's huge, dude. He's the goat. He's the goat.
1: Yeah, but for Big sure.
0: Dick Nick got the best of him.
1: He did. So we did. We still ended up having our party afterwards because um, you know it was already planned. I remember Mister Kraft like, well, I planned on us winning, but since we lost, like, I still brought you guys Gucci Mane and J Lo, so we're <laughs> we're gonna try to enjoy our night. So, <laughs> this we,
0: dude Craft. I <laughs> saw pictures with him, uh, Gucci and Meek Mill and craft in the middle, and they're both like talking back and forth to each other. And craft yeah, is just, just chilling, his head's like bobbing left and right, like looking back and forth. Like,
1: he's just there for a good time, dude. He's awesome. And yeah, so we partied, and um, you know, it was fun. I, I do remember getting to the point where I mean, I was fully hammered, and I got a call. From someone like, hey, I want you to come meet up with me just for a moment. And so I go, this is not a team player, but uh, someone close to me. And so I go meet up, and I get up to the door, and they're like, oh, you have to have a certain color wristband to come in this room. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm on the team. Like, Let me in the room. And they're like, no, it doesn't matter. So the person comes outside, and I mean, I'm shit-faced. The person comes outside and is like, No, he's good, he's with me. And I walk in the room and it's literally just the person that I'm that I'm friends with standing there with Coach Belichick and like his family. And I was just thinking like, Oh no.
0: That was the only people in the that room.
1: There was the only people in the entire room. And like, like he he wanted me to just come in and like talk for a little bit. And I was very comfortable with Coach Belichick. Right, like, right. Um, I kind of mess with him a bunch. Like, I, I would love to like clown around and make him feel a little uncomfortable
0: sometimes. So, is he like re- as awkward as he seems?
1: No, I mean, people, it's kind of weird because he is the way that he seems, but he's right. like a lot cooler he than he He has anybody. a dry sense of humor. Yes. So, Very it's like, drunk. do I laugh or is he going to kill me? I'm not sure. <laughs> so, no, nah, he's super cool. But yeah, so I walked in and I just remember like, I remember tapping somebody else in the room like, I'm too drunk to be in here. Like I have to I have to get out of here right now. Yeah. And we talked and like of course everything and I'm sure everybody else in the room was too, but um it was a great night and that, that experience was definitely the coolest of my life and I'm glad that, you know, my family got to be there and stuff. But um, you know, already right, as soon as the game ended, like as soon as that day ends, you're already thinking, like, all right, let's we're on to the next one. Like right. let's figure this out. Like, and that's the mentality. Yeah.
0: And that's the mentality. And I think that all comes back to the fact that you just like you have to find joy in the journey because that is literally what what makes everything worth it. You know, because those little little things, those little challenges that you overcome in the everyday day to day, it's what makes that big moment happen. One. And then two, you look back. And yeah, you're talking about that big moment like the Super Bowl, but you're also talking about hey, remember that one time in practice that, you know, this guy did this or that guy did that or you remember that one road trip that this guy farted on the bus and it yeah. cleared out the whole room. Like what I miss the most about being a part of a team like that is those little things, the camaraderie that you have with the, with the team, the locker room, the, you know, the times that you're traveling with the guys. The practices where you're just, you know, talking shit to each other. Yeah,
1: those those horrible moments that, like... You're throwing you, up. Yeah, I mean, like, I miss that so much. And for me, it's college football. Like, for me, like, waking up Saturday morning, like, going to war with my boys, there's nothing better than that. Because, you know, there's so many politics in the NFL. Like, you're dealing with right. guys, tr- you know, trying to get paid, feed their kids, feed their wife, feed their moms, dad. like... We were. I was playing. Of course, you have the end goal, but like I was playing out of just straight like joy in college. Just like me and my boys going to ball together. That that was where I had my most fun for sure.
0: Right, and I've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I think I agree with the college football. But dude, think about high school football.
1: I know a lot of people pick high school.
0: I mean obviously it's different because I played at the Division 2 level. So I mean I probably had on average man I don't even know 6000 10000 maybe yeah. on a good day if I had if we went and traveled. We had some really good showings in away games maybe like fifteen, twenty thousand. 20000 but I mean you're playing in front of at Purdue obviously. What? I mean you know
1: at Purdue you my memories go back to playing at like The huge. I'm saying though, you play Division One, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. You play. You can play in front of 120. That crowd, that roar, that roar is something. Yeah, of course, you can play in front of huge numbers. Given like aid while I was there, and we were losing, like it kind of sucked at times. But for me, I still had like that pride in our home turf. Just like I didn't even think about how many people were in the stands. I was still just so excited to be there. I guess.
0: Yeah, no, I feel that. I just remember like Friday Night Lights. Like you're a little adolescent. Like (laughs) Like, in college, you know, you're on your own a little bit. Towards the end of college, you really start kind of becoming a man, becoming your own person. You realize what it takes, you know, to make money. Like not necessarily to make money, but you realize what it takes to be on your own, to provide for yourself, to, you know, have responsibilities to wake up. Not even to the extent you do when you get out. High school is like a breeze, dude. Yeah, And you're, you're living in this fantasy world where you, you know, you play, you play sports. If you're good at sports, you're like, oh, this guy's good at sports or whatever. You don't realize in the grand scheme of things that it does not matter whatsoever. You're just so caught up in the, I'm in high school, like I'm going to prom, like. You know, like
1: those kids just have no idea, just oblivious. I, mean, I was oblivious. It's the I, dude, it's the same way when I look back at like me thinking I was having a tough day in college sometimes. And I'm like, I wish I could go back and slap the shit out of myself. Be like, you literally have nothing wake up to worry about. Wake like, up. of course, sports were serious and stuff, yeah. It's but a like, job. Bro, you're just studying for your you're just going to study for a quiz, like, you have nothing,
0: you have a wide, wide space for air there you know you got the 100 you got 70 if you want to call 70 yeah. if you want to call yeah. 70 see that's 30 points that's yeah. a lot of questions buddy yeah in you the miss- real world <laughs> you mess up one question oh you could get yacked like yeah you're gone we
1: destroy a kid's knee if we mess up right with one question yeah Even like that, that kid's walking funny forever
0: franchise quarterback you had brady behind you i mean or yeah or, you miss uh, a block and someone yeah. comes and crushes him yeah I mean
1: I meant like with work now.
0: Oh yeah, work like too. we
1: throw like a surgeon asks us to we throw the wrong size or something at am like you can't make mistakes. There's no I'll miss thirty questions out of the next hundred no, and still can't. pass.
0: You can't and that goes back to your whole thing about being prepared. Yeah. And that's just there's no worse feeling. And I've had a lot of bad feelings. There's a really bad feeling when there's someone else on a table and you like don't know what to do. <laughs> That's yeah, it's that's it's not good. That is as hopeless as it gets, <laughs> yeah, right? It's not good. So you have to be prepared. And it's someone like for our for our line of work, it is someone else's life and well-being that you're looking after. If any of our surgeons
1: of are listening, we know what we're doing. <laughs> we know what we're doing. <laughs> don't don't think we don't know what we're doing. We know what yeah. we're
0: doing. But yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, it's crazy how you can go from that, but I think that there's a lot of lessons that bleed over from playing sports and being part of an organization like you were or even just being part of a solid college team that high school even, goodness, just any any organized sports, it shows you how to, one, be a part of a team because everything isn't about you and there's always going to be times where you have to make sacrifices for the betterment of the team. Two, obviously, things aren't always going to go your way you're going to fail, but like, don't look at it as a failure. Look at it as a lesson, take responsibility for it and then move on. You know, there's just little things like that, that really do bleed over into the real world. And you don't, you, you hear your coaches say it, but you don't really realize it till you get into the business world and you feel like you have a step up. You feel like you're a step ahead of some people because of those lessons that you learned, whether it's the hard way. You know, whether physically you're getting yelled at or you accidentally didn't wake up for the 5 a.m. workout when it's 10 degrees outside. Bad feeling. There's snow on the ground, and you accidentally slept through your alarm. I mean, it's good to make those mistakes when you're in college, and all you have to do is run until you throw up instead of making that mistake on a real job, right?
1: That is a bad feeling. We've all been there. I mean, I I never did that, like... In the NFL, but there are some times where I can remember like my roommates running in the room like It's six oh two. Oh my God. And like the workout had started five minutes
0: ago. Like you need to be there. It starts at six, yeah. but you're there at five fifty, no later. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You're literally five fifty one is late through the snow like oh what a bad feeling. Real, Real bad up. feeling.
0: Yeah. I mean there's a lot of things I miss about ball, but that is not one of them. No doubt. But yeah, man, it, it's been so good talking to you and I like to end the podcast like this. I like to pose this question, you know, what, if you could leave our listeners with one thing that they can apply to their life, whether that's, you know, fitness related, investment related, business related, it doesn't matter. Like one encompassing thing that you can say, Hey, take this and apply it to your life. What would you say?
1: That's a good question. I think find your why. And what I mean by that is you need to figure out what actually gets you up in the morning. Like, don't just think, I want to go to my job and make money. Like, you have to go be in your head and figure out much deeper than that. What is the reason why you're going to... Do the things that you do day in and day out. Nobody, it, we don't just go to the gym and push ourselves and struggle and struggle because it's fun. I mean, some days I do, most a lot of times I do, but it's because I have a why. I don't get up for work every day and do what I do just to, you know, try to get the next paycheck. It's much deeper than that. I didn't train. You know, I wasn't training just with the thought of, hey, I want to be an NFL superstar and have like hot model girls and money. Like, I was doing things because I had a why that was much deeper than that. And it, for me, it started with not fame, not money, none of that stuff. Like, I loved every game day, like, seeing my family in the stands and like making them proud that was the best feeling in the world for me. And then the sense of pride that I had in my own work and that I still have in my own work. That's the reason why like, I want to be the best at whatever I'm doing. And the difference is like, I'm willing to figure it and it might not happen in one day, but I'm willing to figure out because of that pride that I have in myself and my own work And seeing my family, like my mom and dad and brother, like be proud of me, like that's that's my why. And I'm sure when I have kids someday, forty years from
0: now, hold on, (laughs) pause. This dude said (laughs) forty. This dude said 40 years from now, he's looking to be 66 with kids. I
1: might be ready at 66 to have a kid. And I'm sure that'll be my reason why at that point. But you have to know why you're doing everything because that keeps you from just going through the motions and getting comfortable and complacent.
0: Right. And I I love that. And I totally agree. And that's so funny that you say that because I haven't even discussed this with you. But if any of y'all had listened to the intro, It literally says why the episode is why. And it's why I wanted to start this, what my thought process was, why my inspiration was to do this, because anything that you do, if it doesn't have a passion and doesn't have a why, it's going to show and it's going to be lackluster. It's going to be half-assed and it's going to come off as something that you're not passionate about. And people can sense that and people aren't going to want to, they're not going to want to be a part of it. So anything that has a why, I think that if you realize it, you recognize it, you decide what that why is, it's going to show and people are going to respect that and they're going to sense your passion. Whereas if you're doing something lackluster that oh I may not want to be here, whether it's your job or whether it's fitness or whatever, you're not going to see results one. And then people are going to recognize that you're not really doing it to the best of your ability because you don't have that why. We're about to close up this episode, but we opened it up. I opened it up on Snap, just a little exclusive thing for anyone that wanted to ask questions to Jason, knowing that he was an ex-NFL player, anything about business, football, or life. Uh, shout out to my boy. Uh, I'm, he reached out to me and wanted to ask this question. Be spoken or die, my guy, Eric Henneman that's his tag on snap and he he shouted this out he's all-american two years tight end big time player big hands this dude wore triple x gloves i've talked mm-hmm. to i've talked to jason about this guy before yeah. straight out of new orleans uh one of one of my really good friends genuine person you know you want to surround yourself with genuine people and he really is that leads by example and you know one of those guys that doesn't have to talk too much to be able to feel his presence yeah. um so his question was, as he's graduating right now, wanting to go into the next level, he's trying to get, get to that next level. And I think he has all the potential to do it. Um, he said, what was one thing that you did during your training process mm-hmm. leading up to the draft? And what was one thing uh, that separates pros from amateurs? So basically, what's one thing that you wish you would have done different leading up to the draft as far as training goes? Because that's the process that he's in right now. And what is one thing that separates the pros from the amateurs? Yeah, this is
1: good. And th- they'll both be they'll both be the same answer for me cuz I was kind of, you know, when I see guys at the gym training like high school training and stuff, I, I could, this is kind of one of the things I tell them when they're going off to college. First off, do all of the things. You know why you're bad at something is cuz you don't do it and you're not good at it. People love to go to the gym and do all the stuff that they're, they're really good, good at, at. And yeah. then if you're bad at something, you never go back to it. Yeah. I try to explain to people, you have to do the stuff that you're bad at. Nobody cares. When I walked into rookie minicamp day one, I had never played center before, which is so stupid looking back on it. And I would love to have a word with some of my old Purdue coaches yeah. if I could figure out yeah. where they are. Right. love the school, but that shit was so stupid. And they really did me an injustice by having me play left guard for 50 games. But I will say, when I walked in the first day, I was the fourth string center in New England. And I literally had the offensive coordinator standing behind me for an entire practice catching my snaps and running the offense. I had no idea how to snap a football, and I didn't know where the ball was going when I snapped it. And later that day, in front of the entire team, Coach Belichick said, before we start watching this film, I need everybody to know that ball security is job security. And he ran the tape. And little did I know, every single snap that I had was just shooting over the quarterback's head. Who the quarterback at the time was Josh McDaniels, our offensive coordinator. So just shooting over his head. And from that moment on, I realized, okay, I'm bad at this. I, I was embarrassed to even be out there practicing it because you got to grab a quarterback to practice it, right. and for me that was after pra- practice having to have the balls to go be like, "Hey Mister Twelve, Hey Mister TB Twelve, like can you catch some snaps from me?" Or "Hey Jimmy Garoppolo, will you come catch some snaps with me?" Or "Hey Jacoby Brissett, will you catch some snaps with Crazy me?" Crazy. That's what three I'm, quarterbacks. That's what I'm that saying, bro. System, I mean, though. dude. So. Going back to the training thing, do the take the yoga class. Do all of the injury prevention stuff that you're saying in your head, this is stupid. I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna go pick up heavy stuff. Like that's that's the key. Then you'll be way more prepared than all the other people. You can you can bench press five hundred pounds if you if you shred your hamstring on that fifth half gasser that you run in the conditioning test your career's over. If you're if you're not a, a high pick and like you just go in and get injured like you're literally done forever. So, make sure you remember to do all of that preventative stuff cuz that's what's going to be most important. Like you have most of the skills that you'll right. need. Now it's time to make sure like you can keep
0: everything going. Do you agree with how much how much weight is put on the combine cuz I know that I mean obviously you have guys like Metcalf and guys who are kind of I mean, he was injury-prone in, at Ole Miss. Yeah. And then he comes out and just blows people's minds with how athletic he is. Obviously, he goes and performs as a receiver tenfold. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like there's often times where, you know, John Ross or guys that just, like, put up stupid numbers. Not yeah. saying they're not good ball players, but there obviously is a whole lot more to the game than those numbers. Do you, do you agree with how much emphasis is put on those numbers at the Combine?
1: Yes and no. I mean, personally, I'm gonna find the best player. Like, I'm not gonna look over the guy who led the country in yards and stuff. That's gonna go undrafted because he's a little slower. I'm, I'm never gonna look over that. I want the guy who's like just been producing like and producing. Cooper guy. <laughs> exactly. And dudes will look over that he's because balling. somebody just ran fast, and yeah. that makes no sense. Yeah. I don't get that. I'm not gonna take this guy because he's six seven. And he sucked on tape, but he's got potential. I'm not a potential guy. Like, give me the production. And that's what's wrong with a lot of people. And that's why you look over at New England and you see the quote unquote slow white dude who's just cooking everybody for 15 years. Cooks.
0: Big Julian. I mean, (laughs) Big Jules. Yeah.
1: It is like, you know, they have guys like that all over the field. And, you know, I'm. I don't look into the combine numbers as much, but at the same time, you can't go in there and suck.
0: Right. And dude, what you hit on right there that just really struck home with me is the potential thing. No, so many people, I can't tell you, dude, my whole life growing up, people would say, man, you have so much potential, whether it was like sports or whatever. I mean, usually it was sports growing up, but it was just like, I grew to hate it. Even now, you know, if, if someone tells me in the business world, still like, you have so much potential to be this or that It just means
1: you're not doing it.
0: I hate that. Yeah. It's an insult to me. Yeah. I literally hate it. It's an insult no. because that means you have the tools and the gifts and everything that it takes to be great.
1: You're just not, but you haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like you have it and you have the potential to be great, but you're not technically great yet. So you, that means you're not where you could be. Right. That's why it's like, Oh, like just, don't tell me I have potential, please. Just don't tell, tell me I'm nothing. I'd rather be told I suck than have potential. Yeah. Like, at least I have a little bit more ceiling to work with. Like, at least I'm going down or up. But, man. Well, man, thank you so much for your time. You know, you've uh, you've been a blessing to me just because when I came to Little Rock, you know, I didn't have much friends other than some family. So, we really bonded over the last six months that we were in the office just grinding and steady and both of us knowing nothing about medical sales. No doubt. You know, having that little football background, obviously being like-minded with our drive. And, um, man, it's just it's just been great, you know, getting to know you, becoming a good friend of mine. I've got to, you know, know your family and everything else. Where can um, people find you on social?
1: Oh, my social. Uh, my Instagram's at Jason72King. I think my Twitter is the same. Yeah, that's about
0: it. So go check him out. He's got that pretty little blue check mark next to his name. That's true. And uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll be posting some good content for you all. So, man, this is Jason King. Man, thanks for coming on.
1: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dog.
0: All right, so-